welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Clay was just considered to be an average boy. He lived in a neighborhood that had many children, so he had friends that he frequently played with. He actually enjoyed school and was a good student. His relationship with mom and dad was good. His home life was good. Everything just seemed to be pretty good in Clay's life. Then one weekend, his aunt came to visit, and Clay did something that made his aunt angry. And when she was angry, she cursed his name. She said, Clay. You know why your parents named you Clay? Because Clay is nothing but dirt. It's nothing but something to be trampled upon. You're never going to amount to anything. And sadly, Clay believed her. His life changed. He couldn't believe his parents would name him after dirt, and it affected his relationship with his parents. He didn't know what to think. He didn't always feel that he could trust them or that he was loved. He didn't spend time playing with the neighborhood kids. He uh, figured they were just going to come up with the same thing. You're, you're just dirt. His grades began to suffer. It became a defining characteristic of Clay's life until he got in high school and one day, one of his teachers asked him, they said, Clay, why are you always so down on yourself? Why, why do you think of yourself so poorly? You're, the, the way you talk about yourself, is, it, it's just awful. Why do you do that? And he said, well, that's what my parents think I am. They named me Clay. They just named me Dirt, something that people walk all over, and that's what I am. The teacher was wise. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. Clay is not just ordinary dirt. Clay is a, a special kind of dirt. It's a, it's a dirt that has substance. It's a, a dirt that has potential and meaning. Many times clay is sought after so a potter can make a beautiful work of art. Clay, your parents didn't name you after dirt. They named you for what you could become. And he believed her. And it changed his life again. It's amazing how what we believe about ourselves can be easily influenced, that someone can speak a, a word at a specific time, and it almost becomes like a prophecy in our life that we have to fulfill. I mean, if, if you grow up and you're told, you're so smart, you're so good, you're so beautiful, you're so talented, then you grow up thinking that you're smart and beautiful and talented and good. But the opposite is also true. If you grow up and someone says, you're pathetic. I can't even believe that anybody would love you because you're so unlovable. You're never going to amount to anything. You, you, you're a moron. You're an idiot. You're an imbecile. Somebody speaks that into your life. Sometimes that's what you grow up believing. Well, brothers and sisters, on this day, I want us to think about who we are. And what we are, but not in a way that is defined by people. I want us to think of ourselves in a way 
that is defined by God because we are created anew. If you would give your attention to the reading of the scripture that we've looked at for the last few Sundays. God saves you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. So whatever we were before we came to faith in Christ, whatever we were before we received that gift of salvation, whatever we were before we believed in God and received this gift, make no mistake about how God looks at us. Those in Christ Jesus are a masterpiece. Now, I understand sometimes if you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you don't exactly envision a masterpiece. Do I have a witness this morning? That's why we spend so much time making ourselves look better before anybody else gets to see us. Sometimes we, we, we try to cover up the blemishes, the flaws, the things we don't like about ourselves. Sometimes we say, ooh, I, I need a little of this or a little of that to help me look a little better. We don't really see ourselves as a masterpiece, but that's precisely how God sees us. God sees us as a masterpiece, a priceless work of art. Now, it, it will change how we see ourselves if we can see ourselves through God's eyes. But here's one of the things I wonder as I read this and as I think about a masterpiece. What is it that makes the difference between a really good and above average, a great work of art from a masterpiece. I mean, you go to a museum and, and there's a lot of artwork on display, but not every piece of artwork is considered a masterpiece. What, what makes the difference? I mean, we have, you know, really good songs. And man, there are great, timeless, classic songs. There are conference champions, state champions, national champions, world champions. What, what is the criteria by which we become a masterpiece? Somehow or another, I figure we could just look in a dictionary and come up with something that says a masterpiece, a masterpiece is an exquisite work of art. And that's not good enough. It's not masterful. So I did this past week what I did last week, and that is I consulted an expert to help me understand what is it that qualifies something as a masterpiece. I contacted LaQuincy Reed. If you don't know LaQuincy, you should. LaQuincy is the artist who sculpted the altar cross that we have every Sunday. He's the one that had that vision and brought this, and we said, absolutely, that's what we want. So I figured he was an artist, and so I sent him an email. I said, hey, LaQuincy, what uh, constitutes a masterpiece and separates it from just an ordinary work of art? And his answer was, 
Well, that's kind of a difficult question to answer because art is so subjective. I said, well, of course it's difficult. You didn't think I would ask you an easy question. I could look up an answer to the easy questions myself. I need an expert opinion. And so he gave me his opinion, three criteria that he believes constitutes a masterpiece. The first criteria is what he calls historical significance. In other words, there's something going on in history that inspires the artist to create this piece of work which now is connected to this history so that when people see the art, they think of the event. And the uh, example that he gave me, and I'm going to mispronounce this, but it was Picasso's painting called Guernica. Is that right? Anybody in here know? So is Guernica up there behind me now? Okay, good. It's supposed to be, but it's not on my cheat monitor in the back that y'all can see me looking at from time to time. So what's the historical significance behind Guernica? Picasso painted this in response to the Nazi party bombing the Spanish town of Guernica. In it, it depicts in ways that is consistent with Picasso's style, the innocent bloodshed and the outrage that he felt. Historical significance is one thing that makes something a masterpiece. The second thing is what LaQuincy called exquisite talent. In other words, the technique of this artist is so incredible that anybody else that tries to copy this is surely going to come off as an amateur. The artwork that he used for this is what might be Michelangelo's David or La Pieta. We'll talk about that one later. And the third criteria is uniqueness. He said, now this is what's hard because this is something that is very subjective, but sometimes, well, you, you just understand when you get it. You know what I mean? I mean, you just, you, you can't explain it, you just get it. He said, that's uniqueness. And the artist's technique or the artist's style is such that other people will try to emulate it because it is flawless in its way. So if we want to think about a masterpiece, we want to think about historical significance, exquisite talent, and uniqueness. And brothers and sisters, here's what I will tell you. The grace that we have received, the grace by which we get salvation from, is because of the historical significance of what God has done in Christ Jesus. That God left the throne in heaven above and he descended to earth where he lived in human form. 100% God, 100% man at the same time. He died a horrible, painful death so that our sin would be paid for and then he rose in glory. That is why we have the grace that we receive. That, brothers and sisters, is the most significant event in history. And then we think of exquisite talent. Well, you know, pardon my Oklahoma language, but there ain't nobody can do what God did. You know what I'm saying? There ain't nobody that could do that. There is no other God. There is no would-be God. There is no pretend-to-be God. There is no other God that can do what God has done in Christ Jesus. And it is 100% unique. That's why we sing sometimes. There is no one like our God. We will 
praise him. There is no one like our God we will sing because when we look at what God has done and know that he did it on our behalf, we are a masterpiece created in the hands of the master artist himself. And again, I get it. (laughs) Yeah, we look in the mirror and that's not what we see. That's not how we think of ourselves. We think of ourselves as how filthy we were in our sin before we came to faith in Christ. We think of ourselves with the sin that we struggle with day by day by day that we just wish we could get over but somehow seems to haunt us. Sometimes we feel like it defines us, but God looks at us and says, that is not who you are. You are not sin. Jesus is the one that became sin so that we might know the righteousness of God. There's a mystery to how God works that I would not possibly dare to explain or describe, but this much I know. The work God is doing in you is not forced upon you. It requires your consent and your cooperation. If God could force it on people, he would force it on everyone because that's who God is. But God does not force this grace upon us. Grace pursues us. God, through grace, calls us into relationship with who God is so that we might receive this gift that is not something we can take credit for, that is not a reward that we have earned. By consent, we're like, Clay in the hands of a master potter until God gets a hold of our lives, until we yield, until we submit to the work of the Spirit in our lives, God does not begin to craft us the way that we think God would. Before we came to faith in Christ, we weren't nearly as loving as we are now. Before we came to faith in Christ, we weren't nearly as generous as we might be now. All the good things about us because of our faith in Christ are the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as God begins to use our consent to mold us into the person that God wants us to be. And this is why we talk about cooperation. This is why we continue to preach in the church that it is so important that we learn to engage ourselves with what the Bible teaches so that it informs our thoughts, it informs our habits, it informs our way of looking at the world. It's why we talk about the necessity of coming together so that we might worship. Because sometimes when we worship, sometimes when we pray, we really do experience what God has promised, that he draws near to us and we feel his presence in a way that we cannot explain because it's mysterious. But we know in those moments God is close to us no matter what we have done. God is with us and God seeks to change our lives. That's why we encourage and we teach what it means to pray, to draw near in that one-on-one communion with God. The places where we hear God speak to us and the place where we can only say, God, I belong to you. Use me however you want. As the old song says, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me. Mold me. 
Fill me. Use me. Brothers and sisters, when we put our lives into the hands of such a loving and skilled God, carefully God begins to craft us into the beautiful person, not only that we are, but that as we will be. And sometimes with an artist, you can imagine an artist might want one, maybe two, maybe ten masterpieces in their life, but God makes countless masterpieces. You don't just have to look in the mirror to see one. You can look around you, for each person in Christ is a masterpiece. In the same way that the canvas of the sky in the sunrise and the sunset is a beauty of what God can create and we can worship God and glorify God for what God does, let's learn to see how in a community of faith we are God's masterpiece. That's all good news. That, that's all something we don't typically think of, we don't typically hear because we're people accustomed to living lives of humility, of being humble. Sometimes you need to be reminded just how much God's work at you and within you is worth. It's priceless. But you know something about priceless works of art? Sometimes people want to tear them down and tear them apart. There are forces around us which seek to destroy God's handiwork in our life. There are forces that would say, no, you really are just dirt. There are forces that would say, no, you really are just your sin. You are what your actions say you are. And if your actions are sinful, that's who you are. There are thoughts, there are deeds, there are things that people would do to make us believe that we are different from who God says we are. When I was in the fifth grade, I think that's when it was, I remember reading a story in some thing we got at school. I think it was called the Weekly Reader. Did y'all have Weekly Readers? Yeah, okay. That must be where it was. But y'all are older than me, so y'all weren't in fifth grade when I was. I remember reading a story about... Uh, a man who attacked a priceless work of art. He attacked Michelangelo's Pieta. Now the thing that you can see is a Pieta is a statue that Michelangelo sculpted of Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding the dead body of Jesus after the crucifixion. Part of what makes this work so unique is that it is carved out of a single slab of marble. And this is the only work of art that Michelangelo produced that he ever signed. And so it is that this sits in Saint, uh, the Basilica. What Basilica is it? I want to get this right. Hold on. I'm having a St. Peter's Basilica. Thank you. I started the St. Saint, Saint Peter, but all I could picture was pearly gates and where we all hope to be someday. St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City. That's where you would find this statue. Back when I was in fifth grade, there was a story about a Hungarian man by the name of Laszlo Toth. And Toth climbed the rail to separate the gallery from the statue, 
and he had a geologist's hammer in his hand, and he began to hit the statue while shouting, I am Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. He took the hammer and he hit Mary's elbow. He hit her nose and broke part of it off. He hit her eyelid and shattered part of that. In all, 15 blows were administered to the statue before the people who were watching, the pilgrims to that Vatican City, to St. Peter's Basilica, began to capture him and subdue him. In fact, one was an American sculptor by the name of Bob Casilli, and it's said that Bob got in a few punches while they were trying to get this guy down. When they got him down, hundreds of fragments on the floor from the attack he had made. It never went to trial. He was deemed to be insane. And so it was, he was admitted to a psychiatric hospital. He was there for a little over a year. When he was released, he was exported out of Italy and returned to Australia where he had been studying before. Beloved, there are forces in this world that will seek to tear you down, that will seek to rip your life out of the hands of God that you have put your life into. But here's the thing about God. God can use the fragments of our life that have been scattered on the floor, and God can use those again to restore our life to us. That every time we fall, every time we fail, every time we falter, God can use whatever pieces are broken off, and he can make us new because that is what God is trying to do. God is trying to create us as new people. We come to God just the way we are. A hunk of marble. But God sees inside that marble something beautiful that only he can make. And even when it is attacked, and even when it is broken, and even when it is failing, God can restore it to something beautiful again. If you go to Vatican City, the Pieta is not what it looked like over 50 years ago when it was attacked. It looks like something beautiful that has been restored. Every scar on our body is a scar that God can use to make something beautiful because that's who God is. You see, God sees us as we can be, not just as we are. It makes me wonder, why today? Why is today the day that God wants us to Read his word that we are a masterpiece. Could it be that someone's trying to bring you down? Could it be that someone is trying to tear you apart and damage you? Could it be that you made someone angry and they want to curse your name? I think all those things could be. But I don't know who you are. But if that's hitting anywhere close to your heart, I want you to know God loves you so much that the grace which he gives us by which we are saved is the same grace that God gives us 
to transform our lives. It's a grace that is at work within us for the entirety of our lives. So even if you were to look in the mirror and say, you are God's masterpiece, know that God's not finished yet. God still has work to make us more and more into the likeness of who we are created anew to be, to do the things that God is calling us to do. It all starts in a simple way. Turn from your sin, turn to God, and believe. Then with our consent and with our cooperation, it don't look any better than this. Would y'all pray with me?